Welcome back to part two of our mini-series on iBuying. If you missed part one, I do recommend going back and catching up on last week's episode. To recap, we introduced our guest, Mark Weaver, and talked about how the iBuying and power buying models are really being tested by current market dynamics. This week, we're going to find out how our current market cycle will influence the future of these business models. I guess if we look to at trends, have we seen any recent trends that traditional home buyers are looking when deciding, you know, where they want to purchase with iBuyers? No, I mean to your to, to your point, there is going to be irrespective of the market, right? Mm. Booming, appreciating, softening, declining. Yeah. I believe there's always going to be a, a consumer demand and need for the services that iBuyers offer, which is basically flexibility and certainty around the transaction and therefore when I move. Right. Um, I don't think that's going away anytime soon. Um, the question is, what is the price the consumer is prepared to pay for that convenience yeah. and certainty in differing market conditions? Again, yeah. much easier in, a, in, an onward, in an upward appreciating market than in a softening, decelerating or downward market. Um, and at what cost? Now, the interesting thing is um, some people uh, compare the iBuying model to effectively the CarMax model as it pertains to cars, right? Ah, okay. Consumers, if you think about it, consumers, because of the speed and flexibility when you're buying a new car, you need to trade in your old car, maybe roll some of the proceeds or equity you've got in your existing vehicle into the new vehicle. We as consumers... We know that when we trade in the vehicle, we're, we're paying a significant premium for the convenience of that as part of the transaction. Um, but we just do it because it's much, much easier than trying to list it ourselves and sell it privately. So um, that may be a relevant example insofar as illustrating my point that there's always going to be a demand right. for certain consumers to want that flexibility and certainty around a home transaction to embrace the iBuying model. Hey guys, it's Katia again. For some context around the iBuying model, we went in and looked up a few numbers. Opendoor, which is one of the major players in this space, released a study in November last year showing that 73% of survey respondents would consider buying a home through a real estate technology company, consistent with sentiment in 2021. The company said most consumers would consider selling their home with a real estate tech company, but not everyone can. If you listen to part one, you know that May Claire actually went through the process of trying to get an iBuyer to purchase her home, and she learned that even though she wanted to go that route, she couldn't, as the majority of companies weren't even buying in her area. And if the iBuyers or when the iBuyers can learn how to operate successfully in all market conditions, that equilibrium um, will establish itself and these models will continue. Yeah, I think that's an important thing because it, it is that, what is that balance point, right? Like the the whole demand and desire of an iBuyer is convenience for many people. Like I know that that was what was driving me is I just wanted to be able to right. sell this house without having to go through listing it and right. wanted a, a timeline to be on my timeline, not on when it would actually sell. So I guess, what is that balance point between convenience and profit? And where do you think we are in this current marketplace of where where people are? Yeah, again, I think a lot of it is ultimately down to personal consumer preference, right? Yeah. In terms of 
you pretty much almost it sounds like at all costs wanting to go with speed convenience and certainty rather than yeah. go through the traditional process process of listing it i myself yeah. uh, a couple of years ago went through similar contemplations right um where at the start of the of the crazy market coming out of the mm. summer of covid um I had to sell my house to buy my next house. I did it the old fashioned traditional way. I had an up leg, I had a down leg. There were four real estate agents effectively wow. in the mix of those transactions. There were two escrow offices. Um, I had to sell my home in a certain time frame to release the proceeds to buy my up leg. And uh, it was a very stressful, uncertain time, right? Yeah. And looking yeah. backwards, because there did almost have to be planetary alignment for that transaction to close on time and everything to fall in place because of all the different constituents involved and the sequence that everything had to land. Um, if I had to do it again in similar market circumstances, I would probably be quite happy paying an additional mm. point or mm -hmm. two um, out of my proceeds to have that degree, degree of confidence and certainty that those transactions would all complete and close on time. Sure. Yeah, I can absolutely see the desire of all of that, um, you know, being where we are right now too, trying to buy a new home and finding a home, but knowing that this is now going to be contingent on us selling our home and are the homeowners going to give up on us if it takes too long in this market? Like we have no control over how long it will take to sell our house and just have to have faith in the fact that it it will sell and we will get a reasonable value for it given the current market. So the desire, the desire for the simplicity and the removing a lot of the stress, like you talked about, I can see that really being um, desirable, but you were talking about points. Do you want to just define what you mean by that? I think we're talking about interest rate points. Um, we're actually talking about percentage of proceeds consumer would, would happily surrender some of the net proceeds, percentage points of the proceeds, gotcha. if it meant that they could secure and guarantee the convenience of the transaction closing on time. Ah, gotcha. Mm -hmm. So typically in a real estate transaction, right, it's, it's normally, it's traditionally it's been six points, right? A seller pays six points, six percentage points, right, of the gross transaction value 3% goes to the buying agent, 3% goes to the selling agent, there or thereabouts. Mm -hmm. Recently in the market, we just come out, it was more like five points, two and a half, two and a half. But um, that's, the, that's the cost of the transaction to the seller, right? Five points. When I spoke about that additional mm -hmm. point or couple of points, what I was referring to is, so now as a seller, I'm now, it's no longer going to cost me 5%. On a million dollar home, typically it's going to cost me 50 grand to sell it. That's my... Five points, right? It's going to, what it's going to, to inject some of the certainty around I buying or power buying into it. I'm now going to surrender another one or two points into it. So instead of costing me 5% of a million, it's going to cost me 7% of a million because, and that, that's my convenience fee. That's, that's, that's the additional ah. premium I'm paying. So instead of paying 50 grand out of my net proceeds, I'm now going to be paying 70 grand out of my net proceeds. But that, that was buying me the certainty of the transaction in, in an upward appreciating market. I me as a buyer in the situation that I was in up leg, down leg, blah, 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 yeah. I would happily have paid the convenience to make sure that planetary alignment happened and my next deal closed. Right? So that's in an upward appreciating market. The buyer's going to pay that because 
they want to move into their dream home on time, right? The seller knows that if this, if my deal falls out of bed, there's 10 other people standing in line that will take my place. So they don't, they don't need to pay for convenience because the market's going to give them convenience. Me as the buyer, right? I want to be in pole position. Now, in the current market that we're in, where it's, it's a buyer's market now, but me as a seller, I might want to pay an additional percentage point to make sure that this guy that says he's going to buy my house will buy my house. And if he doesn't, ah. the buyer will or the power buyer will, right? So effectively, think about it. And, and in either context, think about it as an insurance policy, right? In my case, as a buyer wanting to move to my dream home up there, I was paying that additional one or two points for that insurance policy that I'm definitely moving on time into this house, right? I'm locking it in. Right. And at the same time in this current market, where there's lots of risk as a seller that my buyer's gonna fall out of bed, their financing's gonna fall through, they're gonna change their mind, I'm happy to pay an additional one or two percentage points of my gross of, of the gross selling price to make sure that this thing actually closes and I get out of this house. Um, but in this current market, just the the value is not there with iBuyers like it was, you know, before. Right. Do you think it'll ever bounce back? Do you think it, it is tied to the housing trends and the housing yeah. market? And if we we you know get to a place where houses are, I don't know if we'll get to skyrocketing housing values in the next few days or weeks or months. But yeah, what do you think it's gonna take for the the market to turn around? Well, I mean, this 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 industry is and always has been cyclical, right? So you need to have a business yeah. that can uh, survive and thrive across all cycles of the market. Uh, and right now we're looking at the direct implications of some of these businesses that were born in the upward appreciating market when there was plenty of venture capital around to to figure out how they make it across all different market cycles. Um, the one mm -hmm. thing that I will say generally is that when Silicon Valley and Wall Street are involved and, and both these yeah. groups are involved in these business models, um, if anyone's going to figure out a way how to make these business models sustainable and acceptable con to consumers across all market cycles, it's those two groups, right? And ah, gotcha. yeah, mm -hmm. and and you know, we're already seeing um, Open Door recently announced um, some market pivots and a, and a CEO changed as they look to evolve their eye buying model um, to, to, to work in this market. Um, Open Door, it sounds like you're going through similar contemplations. So um, the thing that I will say, like I say, with with Silicon Valley and Wall Street um, having their fingerprints all over this segment of the market, um, they're, they're going to optimize um, how they how they figure this thing out and find a way through it. Sure. Yeah, they uh, always seem to find a way, don't they? Speaking of optimization in this market, if you're looking to talk to some experts in what is happening in the property market today, stop by the MBA Servicing Solutions Conference and Expo in sunny Orlando, Florida, and speak with us. We'll be there later this month from February 21st to the 24th. See you there. And I guess on that note, uh, just kind of to wrap up today, so if we could look into a crystal ball and think of what the future might look like, um, how do you think major prop tech technologies will evolve in the next couple of years and what might things look like? Sure. So I think we're going to see um, probably less focus and obsession with the power buying and the eye buying model as all these market dynamics play out. Okay. I think we're going to see uh, an increased focus uh, on other models of prop tech like shared ownership, mm -hmm. down payment assistance, mm -hmm. some of these fractional ownership uh, programs that kind of democratize access 
yeah. to SFR investing. And, you know, and despite the venture slowdown and the public markets um, softening, there's still plenty of opportunistic capital uh, from the buy side that wants to occur um, single family homes at scale. There's still a lot of Wall Street capital out there, uh, even mm -hmm. in this market cycle that they want to allocate to uh, single family homes in the US real estate market. Um, so there's going to be a lot to come in PropTech over the next few years. Definitely a diversity of more business models with more focus on some yep. of the non-I buying and power buying. But um, PropTech is, is here to stay. And it's going to be interesting to see how everything plays out across this uh, coming market cycle. I love that. Thanks so much, Mark. Uh, one thing before I let you go, SFR investing, you mentioned single family residential. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Perfect. Mark. Thank you so much for coming back so soon on Core Conversations. I have a feeling you're going to be a favorite guest. Uh, we will very likely get you back again. Thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much for joining me on Core Conversations, a CoreLogic podcast. Pleasure. Lovely to be here. Okay. And thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode. Please remember to leave us a review and let us know your thoughts and subscribe wherever you get your podcast to be notified when new episodes are released. And thanks to the team for helping bring this podcast to life. Producer Jesse Devenins, editor and sound engineer Romeo Roman, our new facts guru Katia Oloy, and social media duo Sarah Buck and Michaela Brooks. Tune in next time for another Core Conversation.